All right, we are continuing on in our series in the book of Philippians. So we are in week four of the series, uh, Partners in the Gospel, Partners in the Gospel. And the title of this message this morning is Prayerful and Joyful, Prayerful and Joyful. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. I need the Lord's help. Amen? So Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask, God, I ask that you would help me. Lord, I am dependent upon you. Lord, it, it, it is only by your grace and your anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit, that I'm able to communicate your word. And I ask, God, that you would use me this morning and that I would speak your word clearly and that I would stay true to the text and that your word would do its work. God, your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, is, it has the ability to, to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And Lord, we submit ourselves to your word the authority of your word, and we pray that you would do your work, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in week four, partners in the gospel, and so what we're going to do is, this is a message I've never preached before, never preached this type of message. It's a little bit of a different type of message, Um, and and there's really kind of two thoughts that we're going to be getting at this week and then next week. And so next week, we're going to be looking at what it looks like for us as a whole congregation to strive together side by side for the sake of the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to say in Philippians 1 verse 27. He's going to to encourage the brothers and sisters in, in Christ at Philippi. He's going to encourage them to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, to walk in unity. And then we're going to go through next week, we're going to go through one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk in unity, strive side by side, hand in hand, and I'm going to show you what the example is, and he points to Christ. He points to Christ and shows how Christ has humbled himself. He was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to, but he emptied himself, and he didn't hold on to his privileges, and he became like us to serve us, to take our place on the cross. He says, Jesus is the example. So he says, here's what I want you to do, here's who the example is, the example is Christ, and then here's what it looks like when us, when we as a congregation live like Christ together and we walk in unity. So that's what we're going to look at next week. But this week, is this a unique message, a unique approach that we're going to take here to this section of scripture? We're going to talk about the relationship between you and me. The relationship between me and us as pastors, the pastors of the church, and the congregation. We're going to look at the power that is there whenever a congregation and a church, when, 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 a, when, when a pastor and pastors on staff, a, a pastoral staff and a congregation work together. And what does that look like? What does our relationship look like? And so we're going to look at this. And so I just want to say that there is a special relationship between a congregation and their pastors. God designed a special relationship between the, the congregation and the shepherds that God has called to lead them. And God takes it very serious. God takes it very serious, this relationship between shepherd and sheep. And why does he take it serious? Because he died for you. He shed his blood for you. He sacrificed himself for you. So those of you here this morning that have named the name of Jesus Christ, that you are born again here this morning, you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been purchased by him. And so when the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, says, I'm going to 
call you and send you to a congregation to submit to the authority and the leadership and, and the shepherding of a, of a pastor and a group of pastors, it's very serious because you belong to him, not to me, not to us as pastors. You are his sheep. So he takes it very serious. And so whenever shepherds don't do what they're called to do, it really matters. Because when shepherds don't do what they're called to do, it impacts the sheep. It impacts your life. So listen to this in Ezekiel chapter 34. The nation of Israel and the shepherds of Israel that were called to lead God's people were not leading as God had called them to lead. And listen to the rebuke from the prophet Ezekiel from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over, over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search and to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you, I'm against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Wow. You hear the the heaviness, the responsibility. God cares for you. God cares for you. He sent his son for God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for you. He spilled his own blood. Christ spilled his blood. The Lord of the church, the chief shepherd of the church loves you and cares for you. And because he loves you and he cares for you, he is intentional to be mindful about who it is that is shepherding his people. And so this is what we're going to look at, this relationship. How should you respond to me? And how should I respond to you? And, and I find all, all of this, this subject, I find all of this in this beautiful section of Philippians 1. Philippians 1, 19 through 26. And so let's look at this. We're going to highlight the partnership between Paul and the church he planted. And we will highlight the relationship between Paul and the church he loves so deeply. Let's read the text. We'll keep, and we'll unpack it here. Philippians 1, 19 through 26. For I know, do you remember last week? Before I, 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 I uh, go here, I'm going to tie it in. Do you remember last week? We talked about how the Apostle Paul just said that the sufferings he walked through actually were for the advancement of the gospel. And we talked about being encouraged by suffering and that the gospel is unstoppable and that suffering, the suffering in the Apostle Paul's life could not hinder the gospel. So he's continuing his, his thought here. For I know that through your prayers... Speaking to the church, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two to to go home and be with Christ or to stay and be with you. My desire is to, to, to depart and be with Christ for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in joining the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So there's two things we're going to look at here this morning. I want to focus, I want to look at, there's many things we could pull out of this text, but what really stuck out as I was reading through it was the prayers of the congregation for Paul. He was the church planter. He was their founding pastor, right? He planted a church in Philippi. And they, and he's acknowledging through this statement here, he just had previously talked about his suffering, but he's saying that I know that through your prayers that this will turn out for my deliverance, for my victory. And so he's acknowledging right there that their prayers are powerful. He's acknowledging that their prayers matter. He's acknowledging that when a congregation will pray for their shepherd, will pray for their leader, that God hears that prayer and that God will move on behalf of those prayers. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. And then the second thing that's really powerful in this section, you see this, this argument kind of within himself that Paul is having. He's saying, he's saying to, for, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he's saying I'm conflicted between the two. He says, I, I know that it is far better to go and to be with Christ. And wouldn't we all say that? Look at the world around you and you think of the sufferings we read last week from the Apostle Paul. It is clearly, in his thinking, far better to go and be with Christ and not experience these sufferings. But he says, I am convinced, knowing that if I stay, it means fruitful labor for me in your life. It's going to be good for you. Knowing that, I am convinced that I will continue and I will remain for your progress in the faith. You guys catch it? Your prayers. We're going to talk about your prayers. And then we're going to talk about my and our, as a pastoral staff, our commitment to you. So that's what we're going to look at. So I have three thoughts that we're going to bring out. And so here's what we're going to talk about firstly. We're going to talk about how, what, what, what should you pray? If we acknowledge that your prayers are powerful for us as leaders, for me as a pastor, what should you pray about? And I believe the clues are in this text that we just read. The first thing I tell you is this. Pray that your pastors would be courageous. Pray that your pastors would be courageous. Let's go back to Philippians 1.20. What does it say there? He says, after he says that he knows that through their prayers that he will be delivered, what does he say here? As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. He says, I, I have an eager expectation That I will not be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I love what the Apostle Paul says here. He he had a single drive that he was not going to be ashamed of the name of Christ. That he was going to walk in full courage, even in the midst of a culture that was anti-Christ. He was going to stand for the truth. And that's what I want to tell you here this morning. You need to pray for your pastors that they would be full of courage. That they would not back down from from declaring the truth of God's word. The Apostle Paul had a clear laser focus in his life. It was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he was going to preach that message whether it cost him his life. And so he said that it was his desire that he would not be ashamed. 
and but that he would also walk in courage. You know what it means to be ashamed? It means to be embarrassed. You ever been ashamed of someone? Have you ever, maybe you're, maybe you're with your kids. You ever been ashamed of your kids before? I've been ashamed of my kids before in public. Have they shamed you in public? You're like, oh, these are not my kids. Oh, where's Eliana? That just happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yesterday, that, that just happened. Eliana and I was with Addison and Ellie, and we were, we were in a Target, and uh, Eliana needed my phone to look on the Target app. And so she's walking, and, and, and she's going to ask for help from a, a Target cashier to find something she wanted to buy. And, and, she, and she, she bumps into something, and my, my phone goes flying from her hands. And so uh, I, I had Sam chase with me because Sam and Addison slept over. Uh, and so me and Sam both didn't even talk about it. We both turned like this. <laughs> turned our back. And, uh, and I, wasn't that, I wasn't that embarrassed, but it was like just, okay, that's not my girl, right? But you ever been ashamed? Embarrassed? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says, I, I don't want to be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. I want to have full courage. That even in the middle of a culture that does not obey Christ, does not honor biblical truth, we need to have courage. And I want to tell you that you need to pray for your pastors that we would have courage. You know, look, I get up here and talk a lot. And the more I talk, the more opportunity it is for failure and for me to say things I shouldn't say. That's why after I preach, you don't want to talk to me after I preach very much. Because I may, I may hurt your feelings or I may, right? My, my, my word limit, I, I, I get through it pretty quickly after a sermon. And so it's very good for me to go by myself and chill out, recoup my thinking so I don't say things I shouldn't, right? But when I'm in the pulpit, it can be easy to be ashamed and to be tempted to not have courage because we live in a crazy world today. We live in a world that is anti-biblical truth. We live in a world that cannot tolerate the reality of absolute truth. To say that there is an objective moral standard for righteousness, for life, to say there's an objective moral standard for, for morality is so offensive in the world that we live. And I need courage, and the pastors are going to fill this pulpit, need courage to not compromise the truth of God's word, to hold to the truth of Scripture. Listen to Paul's encouragement to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So pastors need courage, and we, I, I need your prayers to pray that I would stand on the truth of Scripture, that every time, every time that we will guard this pulpit, that whoever stands in here is not going to compromise the truth of Scripture, but we're going to hold true to what the gospel is and to what the implications of the gospel are, and that because the gospel is true, because we believe that the gospel changes you from the inside out, and, and so we believe that your life should change. We believe that you should be going in a new direction in your life, that you should have a new view of, of reality and, and what life is all about and, 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 and the things that you associate with and, and, and the relationships you have. Every area of your life should be changed. And we need to preach the whole counsel of God's word and the truth of the gospel without compromise. You know, I, I believe that our culture does love truth. I believe our culture does love truth. But only when it's convenient to their agenda. So here's, here's a little, little hypothetical story for you to illustrate. You got, a, you got a surgeon, and you got a pharmacist, and you got a pilot. 
So let's say it's time for you to go have surgery. I prayed for somebody this morning that was going for hip replacement. And they got to go have surgery. And let's say you go for hip replacement surgery. And the doctor says, hey, by the way, I, 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 you know, I've been thinking about the operation, thinking about the surgery. And, here, and here's what I'm, I'm really feeling right now. I'm really thinking that, that I think we should go in and cut like this. Now, now the, my, my surgeon buddy over here, he tells me that that's really probably not a good idea. And, and, and the nurse practitioner that I work with also says it's probably not a good idea. But the, this is what I think. This is how I feel that we should do. This is, what, this is how I feel that we should approach it. What do you think about that? How would you? You don't want a surgeon that does that, right? Or so, so, so after the surgery, you, you made it out the surgery, right? You go to the, pharma, to the pharmacy and the, and the pharmacist says, Hey, I know that that doctor prescribed you this kind of medicine, but I'm telling you that... I know he thinks he's an expert, but I, there's this new drug over here. No one's ever really tried it, but I think it, can, I think it can really help you. Would you like some? Is that the type of interaction with your pharmacist that you want? Or what about now? So you've had your surgery. You've gotten your medicine. You're a little loopy, and you've got you to gotta fly to go somewhere, and you get on the plane, and you're walking uh, towards the entrance of the plane and the pilot's there to meet you and he's excited to talk to you and he says, hey, by the way, I just want to take you into the cockpit. I don't really ever do this, but I just want to take you into the cockpit. I, I, I want to show you the controls. And he goes in there and he says, he says, look, I think this is the button I'm supposed to push whenever we're at takeoff speed. I feel it is. I'm not sure. I think it is. So I'm going to try it out. What do you think? Our culture doesn't mind truth, right? When we're at the surgeon, we want truth. When we're at the pharmacist, we want truth. And when we're in that airplane at 30,000 feet, we want truth. We want somebody to know what they're doing and we want there to be right and wrong. That button is not the right one to push. You need to push the right one. But we live in a culture where it's truth, it, it, truth is truth only if it's convenient to us. We want truth as long as it doesn't mess with our own agenda. We like our own version of truth. And that is only going to increase in our world today. And there's no tolerance for an objective moral standard. And this is an objective moral standard. We believe that this is divinely inspired. We believe that this is the very breathed out words of God. And so when we open it and we read it, it's not Ben Bufkin reading. It's not his words or whoever is in this pulpit. It's the very words of God. And when God says this is right and this is wrong, it's right and it's wrong. Our society in America, our country in America, is founded on Judeo-Christian values. And we have strayed so far to the point where it could be tempting for us as pastors to say, you know what, I'm going to skip over that section. You know what, I'm not really going to say that. Because there might be somebody in here that that would offend And look, we want to be compassionate and we will preach the truth in love and we're not here to condemn people. We're here to preach truth to them so that they can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we know that they need the hope of the gospel. So you need to pray for your pastors that we would be courageous. Pray that your pastors would be filled with courage so as to hold to biblical convictions. Listen again to the Apostle Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, re- reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
For the time is coming and is now here when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's what we just talked about, suit their own desires. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of, of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What does Paul mean when he says in season and out of season? Right? Some people say, well, that just means you always got to be ready. So like if I grab my mic real quick and said, Don, go for it. That's what people think that that's what that means. And Don, I believe if I gave Pastor Don the microphone, he'd be, he'd be ready right now. He could, he could encourage you and say something from God's word. But that's not what Paul's talking about. When you look at the context, what, he's talk, what, what is he talking about? He's saying there's going to be a time when truth will not be popular. There's going to be a time when people have itching ears and they only want to hear what is connected to their own desires and passions. So he says, Timothy, preach the word when truth is in season and when truth is out of season. Preach the word when truth is popular and when truth is not popular. So what does it mean? Preach the truth all the time. Preach the word all the time. Be ready all the time. Preach the word. And so pastors are called to preach the word. Preach in season and out of season. Preach when truth is popular and preach when truth is not popular. So pray for your pastors that we would be filled with courage. And as, as we conclude this, this first thought here, I would also pray, I would also ask that you would pray that your pastors would not be discouraged. Pray that they would not be discouraged. So, so we, can, we, we need to be courageous to preach the truth of Scripture, but there can be times where leaders and pastors can be discouraged. They can have a lack of courage in their life, not, 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 not meaning they're ashamed of the gospel, but that e- emotionally they're discouraged. Do you remember the prophet Elijah? Great prophet. And, and God used him with the, the 450 prophets of Baal and, and he put him to the test and God showed up with fire and consumed the altar and the, and the prophets of Baal were defeated. The prophets of Baal were defeated. And then Jezebel comes. Ahab's wife Jezebel comes and says, Elijah, I'm coming to get you. What you did to my prophets They're going to do to you. I'm coming after you. And what did Elijah do? Elijah ran and hid in a cave. The great and mighty prophet of God who was just used in powerful ways. And you know what he, he said? He said, Lord, it is not even worth me living right now. Take my life. This woman is after me. It's not even worth living. He was suicide. He was so discouraged that he was hiding in a cave from a rebellious woman. And he was ready to end his life. He said, God, take my life. Take it. So I want to encourage you to pray for your pastors, that we would not be ashamed to preach the truth, but that we would be encouraged. There are times and seasons where being in ministry, being a pastor can cause you to be discouraged because you feel the weight of the responsibility. I want to tell you, I live with the weight of the responsibility of your souls on my heart. I live with the sense of the responsibility of your souls on my heart. And the direction of your life on my heart. I take it so seriously. And so there can be times if I'm not careful and I don't roll over those burdens onto the Lord. that I can, I can become discouraged. And the pastors here working here can, come, can become discouraged. So pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. And pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. Amen? All right, moving on. Secondly, pray that your pastors would be holy. 
Pray that your pastors would be holy. Look back at Philippians 1.20. He, he said there, he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed and that I will have full courage. So that was our first thought. Pray that we'd be full of courage. But let's look what Paul says here. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, in my life, in my body, whether by life or by death. So here's what I want to tell you. It is important that your pastors be holy and that they walk in holiness, that they honor God with their life in their body, that we would honor, that I and the pastors and staff here, that we would walk in holiness and purity. Pray that we would be holy. Pray that we would honor God with our life. The Apostle Paul desired to honor God with his body, with his life. And it is required that pastors would live their lives submitted to a higher standard. It is required that for me and the pastors on staff here, that we would live to a higher standard of responsibility. As believers, we all have responsibilities to to walk in holiness and purity. We all do. God's word is It rules our life as Christians. But as pastors, as teachers of God's word, we are held to a stricter and a higher standard. That's what scripture says. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that he who will teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why? Because if I get up here and I preach the truth of scripture and I say this is what God's word says and how it is applied to your life and I'm not living it, Shame on me, woe to me. This is what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You want to put all these rules and regulations on God's people, but you're not willing to even lift one finger to help somebody in need. They weren't living what they were preaching. So you need to pray that your pastors would be holy, that we would live what we preach because it matters, because it matters. The impact of a pastor is multiplied through the lives that he influences. The impact of a pastor is multiplied through the lives that he influences, whether for good or for bad. Whether for good or for bad. I am impacting multiple people here. And many others that are are not here that are part of this church, I'm impacting their lives. And that impact is multiplied through the families that are connected here, through through the businesses, through the community. It spreads, it spreads, it spreads. And that impact is either going to be for good or it's going to be for bad. It's a higher standard. It's it's a standard of responsibility. Standard of responsibility. I was at Rouse's the other day. I just want to give you a little example. It's kind of a funny story, but it speaks to a truth about how I have to live. So I love IBC root beer. I love all soft drinks and glass bottles, to be honest with you. (laughs) I like them all. But I like IBC root beer. But the IBC root beer bottles look like Beer bottles. So when I go to Rouse's, I, I just, I've made a decision, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to buy that, not gonna buy that drink because I know that if I buy that drink and put it in my buggy and there's somebody that knows me as a pastor, whether they go to the church or not, they're going to look from across Rouse's and they're going to see that, that six pack of uh, IBC root beer in there and they're not going to know. And they're going to be like, what if they're an alcoholic that is struggling with alcohol uh, and they're struggling with addiction? And they look across, Pastor Ben Bufkin of Living Word Church drinks? Well, that's okay. Well, if he can, then I can. That's just, that's one possibility there. But then if you think you have liberty as a Christian to drink, if if you feel like you have that liberty, you may look at that and say, well, it's really no big deal. But I want you to know that it has impact. And so I think about it. And so I just have not done it. 
but I had a weak moment. <laughs> it's Wednesday night. It's 845 at night. I'm driving to Rouse's. I got to stop and get some other food and stuff and milk and bread and eggs or something. And I walked by the IBC root beer and it just went, gravitated towards it. And I was like, there's not many people here. So I grabbed the drinks. I put it in my buggy. I go to the cash register and, I, I, and I'm kind of like the registers are all this way. I, I look and I look. There's nobody there. So I start moving. And I won't tell you who it is. They don't even go to this church. They're a member of another church, and, and I know him. And I saw him, and I went, oh, my goodness. And he saw, hey, Pastor Ben, good to see you. And this is true. This is true. This is true. He looks. He doesn't have a buggy. He looks. And he puts his head real quick. He goes like that. And I knew right away. It was just awkward. And, and I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to say, oh, hey, it's just IBC Rubier. Don't worry. And we just start talking. We talk for a half hour. Talk for a half hour. I love in the conversation. So then as we're ending the conversation, I think, what can I do to ease his burden that he's going to go? And he's going to go to this other church and say, would you believe it? Pastor Ben, a living word, he drinks. So he goes and gets in line. And there's another line that has nobody there. But I choose not to go in that line. And I choose to go right behind him. And I stick my IBC root beer right there on the cart. And so he looks, and I see, I see, he turns, he looks, and he notices. So you know what I did? I said, I said, you know, I got to tell you something funny. I said, I have a hard time going by IBC Root Beer, because sometimes when I go to buy IBC Root Beer, somebody might think I'm buying alcohol. <laughs> and I didn't acknowledge it. I noticed that he thought the same thing. <laughs> and, 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 th- and this is what he said. He said, you pastors have it rough, don't you? I said, We do. <laughs> That's a funny story. It was a long one. I didn't know it was going to be that long. But, but it, it illustrates a point. There's a higher standard. And I live under it. The way I drive. I know some of you. Maybe you've seen me drive and you haven't told me something. Maybe you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> Pastor Ben. The way I drive, where I go. All of us as pastors on staff here, as leaders. It matters. Our influence matters. And you need to pray that we would be holy. You know, it is wrong for me to give myself to drinking alcohol. And I'm about to read a scripture that, that, that shows us that. I have to be holy. I have to be above reproach. I, my, my standard is higher because of the influence that I have. And you need to pray that we would be holy. So what are the requirements for me as a pastor and all the pastors on staff? Here are the requirements. And these qualifications, these requirements should be evident in the life of a man called to be a pastor before he becomes a pastor. And throughout the duration of his pastoral ministry, it should be evident in his life. Listen to what Paul says in Timothy. Same thing in Titus. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, overseer and pastor, those words are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. If anyone aspires to the office of pastor, overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. So he's got to stop there. That's good. This is a noble task. It's a God-honoring task at people. It is good. Maybe you're here this morning and you aspire to be, you desire, you aspire to be a pastor. It's a noble job, a noble task to be called to lead God's people, to teach God's word. That's what, the, that's what God's word says. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, a pastor, an elder must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. At that point, my father-in-law tells me I'm disqualified all the time. He says, your kids are not managed, buddy. 
He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Feel the weight, the responsibility? You know, it's interesting here. Apostle Paul gives 13 qualifications. Only one of them is a skill. All the other ones are character qualities. The only skill is that you should be, as a pastor, as an elder, a teacher, you need to be able, apt, to teach God's word. It needs to be a gifting that you have to teach God's word. So why do you think the Apostle Paul doesn't give all these other giftedness qualifications? Because the character matters more than the, than the giftedness. The character matters more than the giftedness. And so here's what I, I will say. A man can be skilled in preaching, but if his character is not godly, then he is not worth listening to. A man can be skilled in preaching, but if his character is not godly, it is not worth listening to. This is why the Apostle Paul emphasizes character over giftedness. A pastor cannot be a mile wide in giftedness and only an inch deep in godly character. A pastor cannot be a mile wide. He's, he's gifted in all kinds of ways. He's got, he's got charisma. He's, he's skilled in his ability to, to, to speak. He's a great leader. He has all these giftedness. But if he's only an inch deep in character, he's disqualified from leadership. This is the standard for my life and for the pastors on staff here and for any of you who feel you're called to pastoral ministry. Think about it. This is what you are desiring. This are, these are the standards you are calling that you are feeling that that, that you are to walk into. So here's a a scripture here that contrasts. Paul, again, is contrasting those who are false teachers, those that have disqualified themselves from ministry in 1 Timothy 6. But he says this to Timothy. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Don't be like the false teachers that are greedy for money, that are greedy for sexual sin. But as for you, Flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So pray that that's how we would live. That we would pursue righteousness and holiness and purity. And here's what I'll tell you that God's faithful to work in my life. God is faithful to work in my life. I struggle with temptation, and I struggle with sin in my life, just like you do, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, just as you are, and I am not perfected yet. And, I, and God is faithful to convict me. God will be faithful to use you as you pray for me, that I would walk in holiness, to be a good example for you. He will use your prayers through the power of the Holy Spirit to impact my life. And it just happened a couple of days ago. Have you been praying for me? I think you've been praying for me, because about 72 hours ago, God started working in my life, and we got a dog. I want to show you. It's Ben Bufkin's beagle named Bailey, and there it is. And I'm sorry over here that you can't see that because that is such a cute little dog. This is Bailey, Bailey the beagle, and I caved in. I just sincerely caved in, and uh, my neighbor two houses over had her brother named Bullet, 
she's eight weeks old, and, and so Estelle and, and Reagan and Lincoln were out there and playing with that dog bullet, and, and, and I just like, oh my goodness, and he said, yeah, I think they have one more, it's only $120, and I'm going to Mississippi where I got it next week, and I can pick it up for you, and so I gave in, we got the dog, and I just want to tell you, I mean, it has been a disaster for 72 hours. Not this dog is precious. This dog already fetches. He, she already fetches. We throw the rope. She goes and gets it and brings it back. Didn't have to even train her with treats. She already fetches. It's my kids that are crazy. She's a good dog. And I have to tell you, I have to confess to you as, as your pastor, I, I was not patient with them. And I was rude, and I yelled at them, and I was harsh with them. I really, really was. I still can attest to it. And I'm not a yeller, and I didn't, I didn't like, scream for minutes on end, but uh, I was just rude. Because all I, I, told, I said, kids, I had peace in my home before this dog got here, and now I have no peace. Because they were fighting over who's going to take the dog to use the bathroom. Who's going to sleep with the dog this night? Who's going to do that? And they're just going back. Every 30 minutes, someone, Joel's got to have it or Ellie's got to have it. And they're going back and forth. And I'm just like, Estelle, we're going to have to give the dog to Matt Carnes. Matt Carnes, Matt Carnes lost his beagle Lola, got hit by a car. And I, and I even told the kids that if you don't stop fighting, I am giving that dog to the Carnes family. God is faithful. And I had to go, I had to repent. It was bad. And I'm, I know you think it's funny and, and, and you think I'm just joking, but I'm not. I was not nice and, and uh, what night was that? I took him to go get milkshakes. Thursday night, and I told Estelle, I said, we, we, we need a reset. So I took Joel and Ellie, and we went out, and I, and I said, I am so sorry. I must start crying. <laughs> I am so sorry for how I was acting. And I said, and I didn't give any, I didn't tell them it was their fault, <laughs> though I felt like it was. Uh, <laughs> as I didn't want to teach them that you, just, you make justifications for your sin. I sinned, and I was wrong, and I didn't give any justifications. I just apologized because I was wrong. But God is faithful, whether it's through a puppy or it's through a relationship with someone else. In it, God is faithful, whether it's when, with, if, if, if you're in traffic. God will work in your life, and he's going to work in my life. Pray for me that God would work in my life, that I would take this responsibility serious, and I would be sensitive to repent when I'm wrong. Pray for your pastors that we would be courageous. Pray for your pastors that we would be holy. Paul is saying here in Philippians 1 that his expectation is that he will honor Christ in his body, but he needs the prayers of God's people to help him walk that out. And the same is true for me. And the same is true for us as pastors here. So next is the other half of this relationship. I need your prayers. We need your prayers. But now I want to communicate about our, my commitment to you. Let's go back to Philippians 1. 21 through 25. Let's read it. Let's read that section again. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, convinced that you need me to be here for your spiritual growth. Paul says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for, for what? For your progress and joy in the faith. So here's the third thought, third point here. We, I, 
we, as a pastoral staff, we are convinced to continue for your progress in the faith. We are convinced to continue for your progress and joy in the faith. The Apostle Paul speaks of this decision that he must make. His life is one of intense suffering and persecution because of the gospel. To live means the blessings of seeing the gospel move forward. To die means that his faith will be his eyes. It means that he will be in the presence of his Lord. But he says, remaining in the flesh is necessary for you. What is Paul saying here? He's speaking of his commitment to the people of God. And that's what I want to tell you, that I am, we are committed to you. We're committed to your progress. This is our partnership. We're partnered together in ministry. You pray for me. You pray for us. And we are committed to you. We're going to be faithful to you. We're going to love you. We're going to preach God's word to you. We're going to shepherd you. We are committed because we want to see Christ more developed in your life. The the Apostle Paul used this language in Galatians chapter 4. Listen to what he says here. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. Isn't that powerful? That's what I want. That's what I want. That's my desire. That's, that's, That's what I want to wake up with every day of my life. That's what I pray that the pastors on staff here wake up with every day of their life. With the anguish and the pain of childbirth. That our heart is so burdened with the desire to see Christ formed in you. That it would motivate our life to seek holiness. To seek purity. To be faithful. To study the word. What drives me to study the the truth of scripture week in and week out? Because I know that it is this word. It has the power to change your life. So I devote myself to it because I have a pain and a burden in my heart to see Christ formed in you. And the only way Christ will be formed in you is if you are exposed to the truth of God's word. That's how it works. That's how it works. The more you're exposed to scripture, the more you're exposed to the truth of God's word, the more you will grow into Christ-likeness. There's a great love that God places in the heart of a pastor for God's people, for the congregation that he's called to shepherd. My greatest desire is that Christ would be formed in you, that you would become more like Christ in your life, that you would continue into maturity in your walk with the Lord. God is at work in your life. I want to encourage you here this morning. Some of you may think, God's not at work in my life. I don't see it. You're here. God's at work in your life. God's working in you. Some of you are overwhelmed in what God's doing in your life, and you feel like it's just too hard. I want you to know God is at work in you. He's going to be faithful. He loves you. He cares for you. Don't give up hope. Don't throw in the towel. God's work sometimes is challenging, and sometimes the Lord has to discipline us. Scripture says he disciplines those that he loves. He'll use God's word to discipline us. God is at work in your life, and it is the greatest desire of my heart to see that happen in your life. I remember... We look back on Vimeo. You can, go on, you can go on Vimeo if you want to watch Pastor Renee's messages for many, many years for, uh, from March 4th into the past. You can go on Vimeo, Living Word Church, home of Vimeo. And you can go watch those sermons if you want to. And I watched the transition service on March 4th. And I, I got up here after Pastor Renee laid hands on me and gave me the sword and gave me the prayer shawl. And, and he finished praying and I said that I had to share something I started talking and sharing, and 
um, I, I recounted a conversation I had with my father-in-law in the back. I was sitting right below where Mark Fungi is sitting, right there with my father-in-law. My father-in-law looked at me and said, this is it. This is it. And he said, no turning back. And I had just read right before the other day, I read this phrase, no retreats, no regrets, no retreats, no regrets. I'm committed. And that's what, I, that's what I said to you if you were here on March 4th, that I am, there's no retreats, no regrets, no turning back, that I am committed to giving my life to see Christ more perfectly formed in your life. It's what I'm here for. So as the Apostle Paul said, Philippians 1, I am convinced to continue for your progress in the faith. My desire is that you would not be led astray by false teaching, but that you would be mature in your ability to discern between truth and error. I have a strong desire. And you've been in this church for 15 months of my pastor, 16 months of my pastor, you know this is true. I have a strong desire to protect you from false belief systems that will lead you down paths that are harmful to you. I am convinced to remain and continue for your progress in the faith. My desire is that you would see Christ as your greatest satisfaction. After exposure to the truth of God's word, relentless exposure to the the truth of God's word, my desire is that you would see that everything in this world pales in comparison to the beauty of Christ. I am committed to continue and remain for your progress in the faith. My desire is that you would fulfill God's plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. I was praying for my sweet, precious Reagan down there, and I told her, I said, I said, Reagan, you have God has a plan for your life. And just as I feel that desire for her, I feel it for you. God has a plan for your life. And I get the privilege of seeing that unfold in the many different ways that it's going to unfold. I am convinced to continue for your progress in the faith, to see you fulfill God's purposes for your life. There's some things God's called you to do. You have no idea what it's going to look like. It's out there. You just keep staying faithful, keep persevering, keep honoring the Lord. And next thing you know, you're going to be doing something and and you're going to be thinking, how did I get here? Because God had a plan. God had a plan. I'm convinced to continue for your progress in the faith. Amen. So here's what I want to do. We're going to end like this. We're going to end with prayer. So I'm going to get Brian Harper. Where's Brian Harper? Where did I put my microphone? I asked, I called Brian. It's got the red on it, Charlie. I, I called Brian, uh, what day was it? Friday, Thursday? I gave you a couple days notice. I said, Brian, I'd like to call you up on stage, and I want you to pray for us as pastors, symbolically representing the congregation. I want you to just write a prayer. Pray that we would be courageous. Pray that we would be holy. And just pray for us. And so he's going to pray for us. We're not going to call the pastors up. He's just going to pray for us. And then, then I'm going to pray for you as a congregation. So Brian, won't you pray? Won't you stand to your feet? Brian's going to pray, and then I'm, then I'm going to pray. You know, Ben said we're partners in this. Let's take it serious, and let's really focus our minds and heart on this prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for giving us this time to worship you, to study your word to know you better. Lord, we thank you for the pastors here at Living Word Church. We know that you have purposely placed them here. 
We thank you that they are faith-filled pastors that seek to honor you with everything they do in their lives. Lord, we pray for a, a supernatural overflow of the Holy Spirit to empower them to live courageously, to stand boldly on your word, to never waver to the pressure of the culture around us. Lord, we, we pray for you to empower them to live a holy life, set apart, bring an honor and glory to your name in everything that they do. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around their families, around them. Keep them protected from the attacks of the enemy. We can't do this without you, God. We know that you're going to take care of us. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. I took the prayers of the Apostle Paul for the churches that he founded, and I just compiled them. So just bow your heads in prayer, and this is my prayer for you, for your life. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. 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 I love you. See you next week.